you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. And so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they crowd out with, cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. What do you think of when you hear the phrase, Religious persecution. I'm betting it's things like the underground church in China. It, it may be genocides, horrible acts against people of faith. You may even go to other examples of persecution, things that may seem less violent or are perceived by some maybe as manageable. Because our, our definition of when a faith is being persecuted is dependent on our tolerance for the action. Prayer in school, political practices, etc. Different things that we may call persecution. But notice here that I did not ask what came to mind when you hear the phrase persecution against Christians. That's purposeful, it's intentional, because throughout history, those who have called them some, who have called themselves Christians, have been guilty of persecution and even what we would consider atrocities. Let that soak in for a second. The Crusades, the Inquisition, persecution against reformers, persecution by the Church of England, witch trials, the troubles in Ireland, even human rights and political acts that were supported by some Christians that bashed people's civil rights. Persecution is not a them problem, folks. Being perpetrator and victim of persecution and suffering is a human problem. 
It impacts all of us. And in sometimes, in some ways, we've been guilty in our own tribe. Suffering and persecution are par for the course for being alive. It's not the exception. It's probably the reason that Jesus spoke of it so much to his followers. Let me just rattle off some scripture where Jesus says, this is what's going to happen. It's going to come. Luke 9, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. In John 16, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, troubles. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Luke 6 again, blessed are you when people hate you. And when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man, rejoice in that day. Leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. Again in John 15, if the world hates you, know that it hated me first. If you, were of the, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. And here's where it comes to a moment where even the disciples, <laughs> they would try to keep people down. Luke 9, John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him. We're all guilty and also victims. Because they did not follow us, but Jesus said to him, do not stop him for the one who is not against you is for you. Jesus isn't the only one who says it. It goes on and, and Paul makes these same statements in Romans chapter 5. Not only that, but rejoice in our suffering. Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And one more time. In 2 Corinthians, for the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardship, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, I am strong. Our response to persecution and suffering is guided by how we live. I, and I don't want to downplay, I don't want to downplay anyone's experiences. But I want you to know that, that we kind of live in a bubble here. We live in a bubble of protection here in the West. Does that mean we are exempt from suffering and persecution? No. But until we understand the reality of our faith journey and put into perspective the depths by which others have been persecuted for their faith, we may not know how to appropriately walk through the rough times of being a faithful follower of Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, I just come before you with a message that, that seems at odds with itself. 
We will be persecuted. We will face suffering, but you say rejoice. Father, right now, soften our hearts. Let us hear a message that may rub up against us, that may cause a little tension. Let us put our faith fully in you and what you promise and experience the power of the Holy Spirit that will get us through it. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we heard a story about the oppressor. We started this message with a story of an oppressor. Saul, who, if you're not aware, becomes Paul, the most prolific writer in the New Testament, is ravaging the church. He's destroying Christianity. He doesn't want it to go. He wants it to be stopped in its tracks. And I'm going to say this, if he wanted to stop in its tracks, it's probably because it was rubbing up against his issues and his reality. But I also think because it was so true. I mean, we sit in this room today because of it, because it was so true. And because of the battle in his heart, he had to fight even harder. We heard the story of of Paul's conversion last week. And we heard a little bit of the story of the oppressed. We heard a little bit about Ananias and how he, knowing Paul's, Saul's reputation of destroying the church and, and putting people in prison, we heard a small story of him going in faith to his persecutor. I want to continue down that path today. I want to go down the path of what it means to be oppressed, to experience suffering, and how we should respond. The book of Acts is full of stories of this sort of stuff, of persecution and suffering. Not only was the climate towards Christians sometimes murderous, but it was also coming from every direction. The Jews were trying to hinder the Christians. They would even send out groups of of Jews to follow Christian missionaries to cause problems, to get the locals uproar and raise these these conflicts around them. Not only that, were the Jews, folks that these people had grown up with, not only were they raising conflict, but they were also surrounded by a culture, a civilized world, that didn't want them to succeed either. I'm going to pull up the timeline slide here real quick. If you have your handout, um, it's in there as well. If you look at the timeline, maybe, there we go. If you look at the timeline, there's a whole part of culture and the world that's going along parallel to the story of Acts. And that is the empire of Rome. And as you can see in your timeline, there's multiple emperors there. Roman emperors did not like to have someone or a group of people not worship them as a god. So the opposition from Rome was coming at them. Sometimes this opposition was a little oblivious. They they were too wrapped up in their thing. So this movement of Christ, of the gospel, kind of just moved freely here and there. Most of the pressure was coming from Jews. And at other times... It was absolutely horrible. If you look on the timeline, Nero there is is one of the larger parts of the timeline. And Nero was crazy. 
Nero hated anything that would bump up against his power. And at this time, Christians, these Jewish people who were converted to following the way and following Christ, were one of his number one targets. He hated so much what was happening that he would feed them to lions. He would also coat them in oil, tie them to posts, and light his streets with their burning bodies. Nero was so crazy that he actually blamed Christians for burning down his city when one of them fell off a pole and set the city on fire. This is the opposition that was surrounding Christians everywhere they went. You might even be surprised that it continued if you were in that moment in time. We're not surprised that it continued. But how is a Christian to react to such persecution? Well, let me tell you this first. It's not of the flesh or how the world would react. That is not how we should react to persecution and suffering. See, the world then and the world even now would say these are our options when faced with persecution. To lash out. Maybe even preemptive violence. Or use the same tactics as the enemy. Another option the world would say, just bow down. Give up. Your demise is inevitable. Another worldly option for persecution is in fear, go run and hide. You have no real strength or power, so become invisible and solely inward. See, the world would tell us that's how we should react to persecution. I would contend that these are not godly responses. There is a way, and it's not only godly, but it's transformative. Let's look at one of, one of those accounts. But first, before we go there, I'm going to pull up a map, the map again, give you kind of a place of where we are. So if you look kind of the top, right below Thrace there, Philippi. That's where today's moment takes place. And it's in Acts chapter 16. You can turn there. It'll also be up on the screen. Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination. That's fortune telling. And brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul, crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now I want to stop real quick. If you remember back to the introduction, it's even in your handout, we talked a little bit about the author of the book of Acts, and that was Luke. And if you look at the very beginning of this, we start to see things change. We know that now Luke is on the scene because it says, as we were going. Just a tidbit of information so you know that this is a firsthand account. Luke saw this happen and then wrote it down. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. 
And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in in attacking them and the magistrates tore their garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. So we're going to stop there. We're going to continue in a second. We're going to stop there. A lot just happened. First, uh, and we've already heard this in another message, but throughout Acts, we see these supernatural things take place. And in this moment, we see it again. We, we see this slave girl. Uh, she is completely controlled and has this evil spirit. And we see, I, I love how it says Paul just got annoyed. For many days, Paul's strolling around, slave girl behind, her, behind him going, hey, hey, these people, they follow the real God. Going to the next place to talk about Jesus. Hey, hey, ah, the slave girl again. Here she is. He gets annoyed. He just says, hey, you evil spirit, out. And it happens. Take a minute. We, we might get desensitized to the miraculous in scripture, but that is a moment that we can't ignore. And here's how amazing it is. This, this is just one instance in act, but this happens throughout all of scripture. You could go back a little ways and see one of these instances take place when Jesus encounters a demon-possessed man in a cemetery. The demon is called Legion. And he says to, and this is crazy because if you don't think that the evil world knows who God is, you're mistaken. Because they're fighting against him all the time. In that story, in Luke chapter 8, the evil Spirit says to Jesus, the son of the most high God, please don't hurt me. Even the demons cower in fear to Christ and the power of God. And hear me on this, they cower in fear of you with the power of the Holy Spirit. And in this moment, we see everything set in motion. This one moment where Paul gets annoyed and says, you, demon, gone. Everything changes. This is the moment that causes the persecution and suffering. This moment where he frees the slave girl through Christ, he now and Silas lose their freedom. Which brings us to our first point. When you endure suffering or persecution for a godly action, count it a blessing. Hear me on that again. If you, in a godly action... In his will, do something that brings persecution, count it a blessing. We heard it in all the scriptures that Jesus said. We hear it when Paul talks about persecution. Call it a blessing. Rejoice. One of them even said, leap for joy. This godly action, freeing the girl, brought on retribution that, eventually received, that they eventually received all of this beating and imprisonment. And this is an important point. If the, if the suffering you are experiencing is because of God, if it's the reason or action, because you should count yourself among the faithful who've gone before you too. Not just blessed, not just rejoicing, but also among those who have done it too. 
But remember, I, I mentioned earlier that being persecutor and being the perpetrator and being the victim is a human problem. We live in an era where culture is looking for any way, always, to attack anyone with just about anything. Even more so in these last few years. We also live in an era where there are Christians, some Christians claiming persecution for things that you would be hard-pressed to find in the Bible. As I was preparing this message, that was one of the statements that I bracketed and said, Sean, you're going to ruffle some feathers. There are Christians. There are some who are saying they're being persecuted for things that would be hard-pressed to find in Scripture. We need to be careful not to attribute all persecution that we receive because of our faith in Christ. I want you to hear that. Just because you are a follower of Jesus doesn't mean you don't do boneheaded things that deserve rebuke and correction. And just because you feel a little uncomfortable because of things that are happening around you and because you are Christian doesn't mean you're getting persecuted because you're Christian. But that's a side note to the bigger core message today. What is the response we should have when we are clearly in God's will? Okay, so let's get away from that thing that uh, sometimes we want to attribute <laughs> persecution. It really isn't because of our faith. What do we do when we're really and clearly in God's will and we are being persecuted or we are experiencing suffering? First, in this scripture, we see no evidence of Paul and Silas fighting back. No evidence of them fighting back. They didn't say a word, they took the beating, and then they were put in prison. But for what? We're like, oh my gosh, what just happened here? The rich and powerful drummed up charges about practices that were unlawful in their community. They tried them in a court of public opinion, forcing the authorities' hand to move quickly and actually unlawfully. We'll talk about that in a minute. And note again that Paul and Silas did not protest or fight. They did not call names. They did not, and hear this, they did not sin. They did not sin. Which brings us to our second point. It'll be up on the screen. Ungodly persecution requires a godly response. Ungodly persecution requires a godly response. We've already seen one of those in a non-response. They didn't fight back. They didn't protest. But Paul and Silas were so confident in their position with their Savior that they didn't need to. They didn't need to lash out. They didn't even need to defend themselves. They trusted the Holy Spirit whom they draw their confidence from, their strength from, and their power from. Stephen, who we started this message with, in the center of all of these religious leaders and the Jews and the priests and even Paul drew his power from the Holy Spirit and made truth known to all, even to his death. Paul and Silas were in the same place. They knew that. Paul knew that best of all. He watched it happen. He held the coats as he saw Stephen stoned to death. So let's look at their response. So we're going to go back to Acts chapter 16, starting back up where we left off in 25. 
About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Hear that? The prisoners, who probably did something legit, were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prisoner's doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down at Paul before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of that night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into the house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates, remember these are the people who unlawfully, and you'll see why here in a second, charged Paul and Silas. They sent the police. They didn't go themselves. They sent the police. Let's go to, them, to these men. And the jailer report, let, excuse me, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrate has sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens. This is an important point. Paul and Silas are Roman citizens. You're going to see that in your little handout. Roman citizenship comes with a lot of perks. One of them is to be tried legally in front of a court. Not to be beaten in rods in the middle of the market. Hold on to that one. They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they not throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out, asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. So the teacher in me wants to right now say, okay, answer this question. What responses, godly responses, did you see? But for time's sake, I'm just going to go through them instead of having you yell them out. First one, they prayed. We see prayer. They prayed. They weren't relying on themselves. That brought them to singing. They exalted the Lord. They basically were calling on his presence. They were drawing themselves closer. They did not run. They protected their enemy by not letting him fall on his sword. They showed grace. They shared the gospel. They realized they were building a community. They used a worldly truth, that Roman citizenship. They used that worldly truth to help them with their problems. And then they encouraged those that they left behind. Because Paul and Silas moved on, and they encouraged the church in Philippi. These are not the only godly response, but I think that they build a pretty good structure for us to live by as we face persecution or we see it around us or we hear about it. Remember I mentioned that whole underground church thing in China. When we hear about it, these are some things that could guide us 
in a godly response to persecution and suffering. The first one is get before the Lord. Remember, they started with prayer and petition. They sought his presence. And guess what? He always shows up. Always. May not show up how you want him to, but he always shows up. The next one is strength. They showed incredible strength, folks. My human nature, when I am being persecuted for something that I don't think is right, is to lash out. Remember I said that's one of the worldly things? Well, I'm fleshy and worldly sometimes. If I feel like something's wrong, I'm going to lash out. But here's what they did. In their strength, they held on. They stayed. They didn't protest. They didn't know even what was going to happen to them the next morning. But when they had the chance to run, they didn't. This sort of strength only comes from one place, and that's the Lord above and the Holy Spirit within. The next one. Do not harm your enemy. Do not harm your enemy. They could have let the jailer fall on his sword and run out the door. But they didn't. They could have done a lot of things for an unjust beating. But they didn't. They actually protected him because his soul matters. Those around us who who we have tension with because of our faith, it's hard for me even to say living in America sometimes that we feel persecution and suffering when I know around the planet what some Christians are going through. Call it what you want. Those tensions between us and those who, who would have animosity against our faith Their souls matter. We heard that story with Jake last week. They showed grace. This is an obvious one. I don't need to speak into this one. They showed grace. The jailer could have killed himself. They didn't let him. They could have just left and left him on his own, but they didn't. They showed grace. They shared the gospel. In persecution, I'm betting the first thing in our minds is that fight or flight thing. The first thing on Paul and Silas's mind was, hey, we've got a story to tell you. We've got a message you need to hear. You ready? And the final one, and this is, this is a Seanism just because I need to hear this. Get over yourself and welcome them into the family. Get over yourself. Welcome him into the family. We heard that again in Jake's story last week when he was talking about the Nazis and those that they they killed and massacred and those who survived showing grace and sharing the gospel and then putting their hands out to welcome to the family. The one who persecute you and now stands in grace and repentance brought about by salvation is your brother and sister. It's another hard step, but only possible through the Holy Spirit. These also, this also needs to be said, just as a side note. These same things that you're going to see on the screen, they're going to stay there. They can be preemptive as well. A question could be raised, what do you do to avoid persecution? Well, look at the slides. 
they still apply. Here's the deal. If you perceive persecution is coming your way, the best tool is Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. Prayer, exaltation, strength through him, all of those things that you see do no harm. Show grace, welcome them in. Another question might be asked, what can we do to help those in the midst of persecution? Many of the same things, but even a step further. You could support them. I've heard story after story. I have friends who have served in China who have assisted the underground church, and they're not the only place. There's multiple places around the world that have to hide to grow. They're not that worldly thing that we talked about where they just become inward out of fear. They put their lives in danger all the time. You could support that through some of the things on the screen, through prayer and lifting them up, praying for their strength. Here's a hard one. You could go. You could go to those places, those unsafe places for those who proclaim Jesus Christ as the one and only Savior, the God of the universe. You could go there. You could help. You could pray, support, share the gospel. Try to convert a persecuting culture. You could. There are closer things at home, folks, too. You can look around you at any moment and see those who are being persecuted, maybe not because they're Christian, but because of a multitude of things that ain't right. And you could jump in. Not only is this stuff in the moment, it's preemptive. We used to be able to say and stand a hair's width apart from people. We used to be able to stand a hair's width apart from people who disagree with us or who have a different opinion. But see, the world has now said that if you're a hair's width apart from someone, they're your enemy. And hear me on this, Satan wins every time that happens. We used to be able to have conversations. We used to be able to say, no, no, this is what I believe, and you're just right here. And that's just a hair's width apart. Think of how much worse it gets. The world would have us fight, call names, react, in a worldly way. And that distance just gets worse and worse and worse. When that happens, the enemy wins. He wins a battle. We know he doesn't win the war. Just flip to the back of your Bible. But he wins these little battles. So guard yourself against that thinking and find ways to step in. Find ways to see when persecution is happening. That way, when real persecution rises against the godly followers of Christ, we can respond in such a way that brings on transformation for those around us. And even if that fails for those around us, it will transform us. We will become more like him. All of this is in stark contrast to the world's response. All of it. It wants hate and harm for those who persecute us or persecute anyone. It wants hate and harm for those who disagree. Here's another thing that was bracketed in my notes. 
that I'm like, ooh. In some ways, it even rubs up against us and our American view of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Let me push back on that. Our citizenship isn't here. This world is led by Satan. Ephesians 6 says it this way, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We don't wrestle against our persecutors or our enemies. We wrestle against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in this heavenly place. The ruler of this world is Satan. It's not your neighbor. It's not the one who disagrees with you politically. It's not the one who calls you names or wants to cause your faith to be put on the back burner. It's against evil because this is not our true home. You are a citizen of heaven in a holding pattern here on earth to do God's work. You are a citizen of heaven in a holding power here, a holding time, this place, this moment, temporary, to do God's work. If this is true, while we are here on earth, our response to persecution should be expectation. It's going to come. Jesus said so. Our response here on earth should be staying in God's will, doing all we can do to help others find true citizenship through Jesus our Savior. You're going to experience persecution. It's just going to happen. Because they hate Jesus, they hate you. It's inevitable. Come to persecution and suffering with expectation. Count it a blessing when it happens and respond in a godly way. That's what we're called to do. Test everything according to his word. Test everything by the conviction and righteousness of the Holy Spirit in you. Oh, I hate to even say this because it's so cliche. It rubs up against my churchiness. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? Jesus is not only a God in human form on earth that flipped tables in the temple. He was also a savior who was willing to lay down his life for his children. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that we would know that persecution is going to come. And, and you say even in your scripture that it's going to come more. Allow us to respond in a godly way. Allow us not to sin. Allow us to fall into your will and trust your power and your movement, knowing that this is just a temporary shell that I live in on a temporary place. Father, move in us in such a way that we see our enemy as a soul that you love. Allow us to know that no matter what persecution comes our way, as long as we stay in your will, our eternity is set. Thank you. Lord, I pray for this people as they do face things around them that would press up against their faith, things that this world and culture would now say is incorrect. Lord, allow us to stay strong. That is your strength. Allow us to say truth like Stephen did, even as stones were hitting him. Allow us to share you with a lost and hurting world. In Jesus' name.
Amen.